All right, how you guys doing? Good. Merry Christmas. Good morning. We're continuing in our Advent series. What did we say that Advent means, that word? Yeah, waiting. Yeah, this expectant waiting, right? Like, this, there's a promise, and you've seen an assurance of that promise. You've seen evidence, something that backs up that promise, and you're waiting for that. And so it's not this, like, empty, hopeful waiting. It's not a wishing, but it's a waiting expectantly for something you know is coming, and specifically, something or someone great. That's what Advent means. And so um, the, the people who would kind of go off to war and their kings would, would lead the battle, they were waiting for their king to come back victoriously. That was an Advent of sorts. But when we talk about Advent in the church, we mean a waiting for the true king, the king of kings, the rescuer who would come and make all things right in the world and rescue God's people out of their captivity. And so Israel had been waiting a long time. They were in a huge Advent season waiting for this to finally come. And we've been exploring that as we've been going through the month of December. And so as we mentioned, we looked at week one, this promise, wait for the son of the woman who would come one day and crush the serpent's head. And then we fast forwarded through the story. There was a whole lot of other promises made too and a, a long period of waiting, but we, we skipped over a lot because we only had four weeks and we saw as we fast forward through the movie, we, we stopped and we pressed play and we saw another glimpse of the story where there was a promise that there would be a son of David. So not only did we hear that there would be a, a son that comes out of humanity, someone born to a woman, it's a pretty general, broad description, right? A lot of people could fit that role. But then now we're, we're being told, we're zooming in and going, okay, Bring that funnel in, and we know now that this son who would be born, who would rescue, and would come and make all things right, would be the son of David, someone who comes out of the line, the lineage of David himself, one of the greatest kings that Israel ever knew. But this would be a much better king, and his kingdom would last forever. And then you see Israel go into captivity, and they lose their kingdom, and they lose their king. And it's like, wait a second, how can this promise come true? And they're in, in pain and suffering, and God sends a prophet, Isaiah, among many other prophets, to speak this good news of hope. Hey, I know it looks bleak right now, but there will be one, a son of Israel, who would come. The, the root of Jesse, we're told, which means Jesse, David's dad, someone coming out of that lineage. Like, this group of people, Israel, who were called to be God's people to display to the world what God is like, were just failing time and time again. And what this promise is, is one day this will be dwindled down into one Israelite who could actually fulfill this. That he is coming, and he will not only establish a kingdom that lasts forever, he will not only crush the head of the serpent, the enemy, but he will also take away all the pain, all the sorrow, all the suffering, and bear it himself so that you can actually enter into the kingdom in joy and goodness for eternity. So this is the promise we've been seeing. And this morning, as we turn to Matthew chapter 1, we're going to see that this promise of this son, son of Israel, son of David, son of a woman, son of God, would actually come to its fullness, to its fruition, and the son of Mary and Joseph. And so we're going to turn there right now. But as we do, I just want to, I want to pause for a second you know, there's, uh, we had in our coffee shop at Cultivate uh, some firefighters come in 
and they're hanging out and they have their radios on. And every now and then you hear this just terrible, terrible squeal that comes out of their radios. And I was like, oh man, can they turn that off? Like, what is that about? And then we were in a, we were getting lunch somewhere, mod pizza or something, and firefighters came in there too, and the same thing. We're like, what is this? They must have to do this. Well, I was, I was somewhere else, and I heard this again, and I actually asked one of the firefighters, I was like, why does your radio keep doing that? And he goes, doing what? And I was like, are you kidding me? You don't hear that? He was so used to it that it's just like background noise. It's white noise to him. And I think that happens to us a lot of times around Christmas, right? We've heard this message a million times. We, we've gone through this story so many times. We've gone through this Christmas season so many times. And there's all this other white noise going on around us too. All these other distractions and background noise to where I could start reading from the book of Matthew about this great gift that we have and the son who came and, and fulfilled all this promise that we've been talking about all month and it's just background noise to us, right? Or, or maybe it's just like, it's so, we're so used to it that we're like, oh, what gospel? I, I barely heard that. And so I just wanna encourage us to wake up, like don't sleep through the good news of Christmas. Wake up. And if you've heard this a million times, listen to it the millionth and one time. Is that a millionth and first? I don't know. As if it were the first time. Because it never gets old. And it's good news every single day. Now, as we turn to Matthew 1, I want to give you a little bit of context in this chapter before we skip to verse 18, where our actual text is for this morning. And the beginning of this chapter starts with some really exciting stuff called a genealogy. You guys know what a genealogy is? So genealogy is like your lineage, your family tree, your history, right? It's your, it's your 23 and me or whatever that thing is. It's, your genealogy is look, look at who came before you in your family, in your bloodline. That word genealogy actually comes from, if you... Look closely at it. It comes from the same word Genesis does. So Matthew starts off with, this is the Genesis of Jesus. Verse 1, an account of the genealogy, the, the beginning, the way that he comes about. He says, an account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then he starts going through that list. And what's amazing is when he gets down to verse 18, where we're going to actually look at this morning, then he says it again. This translation says, the birth of Jesus Christ came about this way, but the original word there is the genesis of Jesus. What we should be hearing in Matthew's words is this is a recreation. Creation had gone terribly wrong, and God is restarting it fresh in the life of Jesus. And so he goes through this genealogy, and if we see up here on this diagram, we, I have two different, we split it off there, from King David to Jesus Christ, because if you were to go to Luke chapter three, and you read the genealogy of Jesus, you would be like, okay, from Abraham to David, like that lines up perfectly, and then all of a sudden, it's like a completely different family tree from David to Jesus between Luke 
in Matthew's account. And so you go, is this an inconsistency? Is this real? Can we trust this? What's going on? Who's correct? And there's a lot of thoughts on this, but the one that makes the most sense is that we're just getting the family tree on both sides of his parents. And so in Matthew 1, what we're hearing is the genealogy of Jesus through the line of Joseph. And then, sorry, flip that, through the line of Mary. And then on the other side, in Luke, we're getting the genealogy through the line of Joseph. And so that's all that's happening. And I think what's actually amazing about that is it's showing both Mary and Joseph come out of that lineage of King David, the promised son of David. It's like, okay, this is Mary's son. It's also the son of Joseph. And and you could argue like, yeah, but he's not really related to Joseph because he's like, he's God's son. Joseph didn't really play a part in that, you know. Doesn't really have his DNA. So it's like, all right, fine. If you don't accept his legal lineage, which would have come in that time and culture through the father, the one who names him, which we'll see in this story, if you don't accept the legal lineage through Joseph, then here's also this DNA lineage through Mary. It's like fulfilling the prophecy on both accounts. This is the son of David. And you see that those lineages, uh, they, they actually do have another point where they intersect, and I thought that would get too messy you put that up there, but another point where they intersect, and people are trying to explain that. It seems like maybe intermarriage. If you thought your family tree was weird, like so is Jesus's. It's okay. But the point is they both get traced back to King David. One's through the, the line of Solomon, his son, and the other one through another one of his sons, Nathan. Because David had more than one son. So you trace it back to David. And then both of them have in common that they trace all the way back to Abraham. This man that God came and said, you know what? I'm going to create a nation of people out of your lineage. And this is the nation that will bless the other nations. This is the nation that I will call my people. I will be your God. You will be my people. I will bless you so that you can bless others. And I am going to bless the world through you. This is the lineage that Jesus comes out of. Matthews doesn't go this far back, but I love that in Luke chapter 3, it keeps going. And it goes all the way back through Noah, and it keeps going all the way back to Adam. And if we were to read actually in Luke chapter 3, the way that he words it is so beautiful. He keeps, he's moving backwards, and so he goes, son of David, son of, keeps going backwards until it gets to Son of Adam, and then he says, son of who? Who's Adam's father? Son of God. As if to say, listen, this son of Mary and Joseph, son of man, is not just son of man. We take all the way back to, this is the son of God. The son of God. Adam had no earthly father. God created him. God formed him with his hands and he spoke his breath into his lungs to fill him with life, to fill his spirit. And so Adam could rightly be called the son of God. How incredible is that, right? And yet, yet we know, scripture tells us in lots of places, that we have been called children of wrath, sons of disobedience. Because Adam... And his wife Eve messed up badly. And they rebel against God. And now they're stained. And God tells them, listen, if you do this, you will die. 
the day you eat from this tree I told you not to eat from, the one thing I asked you not to do, if you trust me at all, just don't do this one thing, the day you do it and you don't listen to me, you will die. And when God says something, it's true. When God says something, it happens. And so we didn't see them physically die, but spiritually They're cut off from the tree of life, but they're also cut off from the life giver himself, God. Spiritually that day, they die. But God also spoke another thing. And remember, when he speaks something, it's true. And he he also spoke, you will be fruitful and multiply. And so guess what? He lets them continue to do that. They have children. Now their children are no longer formed by God's hands and his own breath filling them with life and spirit. Now they are the offspring of spiritually dead people. Quick little example. This is something we made for like kids to use, little printout handout when we're they're sitting in here with us. Kids, have you seen this before? If not, ask your parents, tell them to do a better job. I'm just kidding. So (laughs) I this is a copy I made. I printed one out. I made a copy. It looks like it. But if I were to spill my coffee on it which I'm not going to do right now because it'll make a mess everywhere. Or if I were to scribble on it with a crayon and I go make a copy of this, what happens? This is what I get, right? It's not going to be a very good copy of the original anymore. It's going to be a stained copy. And so that's what happens. Adam and Eve's offspring are now stained with sin, with rebellion against God, spiritually dead, they, listen, you can't be born out of a woman spiritually alive. That's just the reality. Because we're spiritually dead people born from spiritually dead people. Like, cats can only reproduce cats. Dogs can only reproduce dogs. That's the way it is. And so if this is what you are, is a spiritually dead thing, you're going to produce more spiritually dead things. And the reason we get this lineage traced all the way back to son of God and the reason Matthew uses this language, Genesis, the Genesis of Jesus, is we're getting this picture now that things are being remade, that there is now a second Adam being born of the spirit, the spirit of God breathed into his life to make him whole and alive and here. This is, this is a new creation of humanity breaking into earth because he's born of the woman just like we were promised but he's not spiritually dead he's not born into spiritual death because he's also born of the holy spirit i know blows your mind hard to make sense of but this is a story that matthew and the other gospel writers are trying to paint for us doesn't mean we have to understand the mechanics of it this is the story the narrative of the way Jesus enters into the world, both through humanity and the spirit of God. A new birth of humanity is happening in this moment. New creation is being sparked. And so the the one, the son who would finally come and crush the head of the serpent couldn't be one who was being crushed by the serpent. Remember we talked about that displacement that happened? That when they started to listen to the words of the serpent instead of the words of God, they actually placed themselves under his authority. How can you crush someone who's above you? That couldn't happen. The king who would establish a, a throne and a kingdom forever 
couldn't be one who dies as was promised when you rebel against God and eat from this tree. As David died, as every other king died, had to be something different, right? The one who would come and, and take the suffering for all of Israel on himself could not be one who deserved suffering himself, could not be one who deserved pain and punishment and death for his own sins. If you go to try to pay off something for someone else, but you're in debt yourself, it doesn't really work out, right? I've had times in the past where like, I, I go and try to like, get money out of my account, and they're like, uh, yeah, you don't have any, so you can't, I'm sorry. I'm like, well, I'll pay that back later. Just give me, I gotta pay this other bill right now. You can't pay that bill because you gotta first pay us. All right, so when you're in debt, it doesn't work that way. And so he had to be free of that debt so that his payment for sin, his death for that, could pay for others. This couldn't be any other regular human. It could only be done through one born of both woman and spirit. So genealogies are exciting, right? Pick up with me now in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. After he gives the generations from Abraham through David, through the exile of Babylon to Christ, he says this. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. And this comes from Isaiah. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. This is God's word, his true story. Father, we pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds and our ears to receive your word this morning. God, that we would hear it fresh. Not that it's necessarily new news, but that we would be renewed by it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what we hear in this story are two oppressed, poor, overlooked individuals who get this incredible news that's life-changing. Life-changing. And what it means for them. But not only what it means for them as individuals, what it means for their entire community and nation of Israel and not only Israel, but what it means for the entire world and all of the universe, really. And so we're going to look at this, this story that gives us two names for Jesus. And what those two names mean for the individual, the communal, and the cosmic. Make sense? I don't normally do like, here's your layout, outline, bullet points. But I want us to catch this. So two names given to the son. And the three things it means for the individual, communal, and cosmic. So let's start with these individuals. You got Joseph and Mary in this story, and they're engaged to be married, right? 
Now, when we hear that word engagement, it's not engagement like we think of today. Like, really, our engagements today don't, they don't really mean anything. Right? It's like you have this intent. It's like when I'm getting ready for the New Year's and I have this intent that I'm going to start working out and eating healthy. And I start, like, Googling online, like, some different diets and things of nutrition. But then New Year's comes and I don't actually do anything with it. So that's kind of like, well, there's no legal binding to our engagements. It, we kind of use it as this opportunity to find out for sure if you really want to marry this person, right? But engagements in this time, and in fact, uh, other words that have been used for this is a betrothal, which is a weird word we don't use. Here's why. We don't do it. The way this happened is it was an arranged marriage. The parents would come together, and they would decide on a price for the bride, and then when the parents agreed to pay that price, now this legal binding contract was put in place for these two people to be married because there's been payment now. So now there's a legal obligation. And so Joseph's parents paid a price to Mary's parents for these two to get married. Super romantic, right? And these two are, are they're, they're betrothed now. They're engaged legally. And that's why, even though they aren't married yet, why it says in verse 19 that he wanted to secretly divorce her because he had to actually break this legal relationship that had been set up and established. So there's this commitment here that goes beyond, I want to marry you. There's this legal binding commitment here. And Joseph finds out Mary's pregnant. And he's going, wait a second. I know I ain't the daddy. So what kind of woman is this, right? Now here's the thing. Joseph was right to divorce her. He would have been right in that, but he was righteous in the way he did it. This is what it says. Because Joseph, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her in secret. It's not just disgrace and shame. Like we think like, oh man, that was really embarrassing, right? Like, she could have been stoned to death when people found out that she was not married and she's pregnant. Legally, they could have done this. At, at the least, he could have had his parents go back and get their money back from her parents. Hey, this wasn't what we agreed upon. You didn't deliver the goods. We want our money back. And he doesn't do either of those things. He, he thinks this woman is being unfaithful and he had the right to do those things legally, but being a righteous man shows grace and mercy and love and care. Kind of the way that we see God even in the garden when he was right to say, you're dead now because you disobeyed me, yet he was gracious and merciful and loving and caring in the way that he provided for them clothes, even in their shame, right? And so this is a beautiful thing we hear about Joseph. We don't get a lot about Joseph throughout scripture, but this is pretty cool, I think. He's not a perfect guy, but at the beginning of this story of, of the son of man, the son of God breaking in and renewing what humanity is supposed to look like, we get a little glimpse from this lineage that he comes out of, of like, hey, this is what we're called to be. And so he's like, look, I can't, I can't do this though. Even if I marry her today, She's already been pregnant for some time. People have already discovered. And like people are going to think now that I was part of this, having a child out of wedlock. 
And in this culture, in this time, talk about disgrace and shame. These are already people who are oppressed by the Roman Empire. They're already a poor kind of second-class citizen in their own community of Israel from this town of Bethlehem that nobody wants to go to. And now they're going to be immoral in the eyes of everyone around them. Like, think about how few friends they might have had. This is a tough situation that this messenger from God is coming to Joseph and saying, and by the way, not only that, we haven't seen a messenger from God come to humanity in over 400 years. This is new for them. So it's not like when Mary goes like, Joseph, I know this looks bad, but listen, uh, an angel came to me and said, this baby is actually from the Holy Spirit. I haven't been with a man, I promise. And he's like, oh, cool, yeah, my Uncle Rick just got a visit from an angel last night too and told him how to grow his crops better, so that makes total sense. Like, no, this was like not normal, right? Who would believe that? And so God, out of his mercy, he sends someone to visit Joseph too. And he's like, oh, wow. This is real. This is incredible. It's not that this is going to become easier for Joseph because he had a visit from a messenger of God. It's that now he could trust that it was true and he could step into that difficult situation knowing that God would be with him through it. How many times do we go into things like, okay, God, if I just knew that this is where you wanted me, then like, great, like it would be so much easier. Here's the thing, like most of the time where God wants you is not easier. It's so much harder. Because we have a tendency where we want to be is easier. We don't like discomfort. We don't like pain. We don't like sorrow. We want the easy way out. And God is usually calling us into something way more difficult and going, but I will be with you through this. Will you trust me? And this is what he's coming to Joseph with. It's the same question that he offered to the first two humans in the very beginning. Will you trust me? I'm here with you. I'm telling you, I, I know that looks good. I know it's easier just to do that. But will you trust me? And so at this Genesis story, we're getting a picture of this finally maybe being done right. Will you trust me? This is going to be difficult. But I'm with you. And so God comes to Mary, he comes to Joseph individually, and he chooses these two people that nobody else would have chosen. Similar to how David was chosen to be king, like he was the scrawny little scrappy shepherd who was dirty, and like nobody would have thought this is king material. And God says, no, 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 I look at what's on the inside, I look at the heart, not what's on the outside. You see Joseph and Mary, these two poor people in the town of Bethlehem, and God goes, listen, I know what I'm doing. And it's not because there's something great necessarily in Joseph and Mary. It's because God was filling his promise that he made from the very beginning of creation. I know what I'm doing. So he goes and he calls them and he comes to them individually and they believe. And so there is a relationship between us and God that is very individual. It's very personal. Like this angel comes to them and calls them by name because God told him what their names are. Because God knows. Because he knows you. He knows your name. And he comes to you on a personal individual level too and says the same question, will you trust me? 
But the reason he came to them, like we said, not because they're special, they're spectacular on the inside people, because what lineage do they come out of? Right? This is how Matthew starts the story. This is their genealogy. I love when he comes to David, I'm sorry, when he comes to Joseph, he calls him, hey, Joseph, son of David, in verse 20. This, like, poor man. He's got not a whole lot to his name. And he reminds him, he gives him this name, son of David. He reminds him where he comes from and what God's doing. This is why we're coming to you because of God's promise that this is for all of Israel, not just you. There's a communal aspect to this. At the very end of of our text this morning, we read Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with who? You, Joseph, right? No, like with us. Us, there's a communal aspect. This is not just a one-on-one private personal relationship with God that you don't get to know anything about because, hey, this is, this is private, this is personal, my spiritual life, that's just between me and God, and then like the rest of life is public, that's fine, like I can talk to you about sports and work and the weather, but this is just between me and God, right? That's never the way God intended it to be. Even at the beginning of creation, when God calls Adam to be his representative, then he forms the woman out of the man And Adam has this task now of relaying to this woman the things that God has said. And Adam has this task now of protecting the word that God had given. Like this is now a communal relationship between God and both of them. Not just one-on-one. So God comes to Mary and to Joseph and he says, this is going to be for all of Israel. When he gives this name, Jesus, he says, verse 21, she will give birth to a son. You are to name him Jesus. Why? Because what? He will save, give me time to get there, his people from their sins. That name, Jesus, actually, it's, it's the word Yahushua. Okay? Actually, is more closely translated to Joshua, not Jesus. But Yehoshua, you start saying it like five times fast. Yehoshua, you get tired and you drop a syllable, right? Yeshua. And so that's how it was often pronounced, Yeshua. And then when that was translated later through the Greek and then to the English, somehow we got a hard J in place of that Y and we get Jesus. And that's where all cultures now are referred to as Jesus. Like we had a Jesus in my PE class, and when he, everybody wanted him on their basketball team because they're like, I can't lose with Jesus on my team, right? So that name Jesus, we talk about being a powerful name. It's actually the wrong name, <laughs> but we're still looking to the same person, right? But it comes from Yehoshua, which means Yahweh saves. And so he comes and he says, you're going to name him Yahweh saves. Who's going to save? Yahweh or this Yahweh saves guy. Yeah, exactly. He, he is the same. Yahweh saves through this one. And so this is the message he's given is you're going to call him Jesus, but he says why? Because he will save who? His people. That's when you expect to hear because he will save the whole world. 
And instead, he says, because he will save his people. Who are his people? What lineage did he come out of, right? The people of Israel. Jesus even has moments like this, conversations with people where other Gentile people, that means non-Jew, non-Israelite, come to him and are asking for things. And he goes, listen, I came for Israel. And they're like, oh, but even the dogs eat from scraps off the table sometimes, right? And he's like, yes, your faith has now saved you. Because he also knew, yes, eventually, what was Israel there for? Blessed to what? Be a blessing. It's not that he was coming just to cut off the rest of the world and only focus on Israel. It's that he was restoring Israel's purpose of being blessed to be a blessing to all the nations. So that when Jesus comes for the communal saving of God's people of Israel, now these Israelites can take this message of good news and salvation and they can start bringing it to the whole world. And so it spans out now from that individual to the communal and now to the whole world, to the cosmic for God so loved the world. We did the hand motions earlier. I was watching Anthony, so I made sure I got it right. The whole world. God is at work restoring the whole world. And that doesn't mean just every tribe, tongue, and nation. As we're told in Revelation, we'll see in that final, beautiful, recreated heavens and earth. But it's the recreated heavens and earth too. Like the plants. That, that, that our rebellion and sin and our feeble minds have produced pollution into this earth. And, and God's coming, he's restoring the ecosystem and the animals. And he's restoring government structures. And he's restoring the way that people interact with one another. He's restoring all things. All things. It's a cosmic salvation that comes to the community of Israel through one individual and family. This is big and it's personal all at the same time. And I think we can all look at the, the big scope of that and go like, awesome. We need to have this world renewed because it's a mess, right? I have this conversation with my kids. We've been having it often lately, actually, about how it seems like everything humans do to try to make things better only makes it worse. Like everything we try to, uh, to overcome some type of problem, we create new problems elsewhere. We need to be more productive. We need to get places faster. Here's a car. Oh, now there's pollution. Whoops, right? Agent Orange for chemical warfare was first invented as a way to help plants grow. Like all these things we, we try to do to help overcome our problems actually make the world worse. And we see this all throughout the history of the world where we think this humanism, progressive thought, like as long as we can just all rally together and get our stuff together and put our brains together, we can make this world a better place. Everyone just be kind to one another. And yet what we've seen is we just keep falling further and further and further into our desperation and we need someone much greater to come and save us. And so we can all look at the world and go, this isn't right. It needs to be better. And so you talk about this cosmic restoration of all things. Awesome. I could get behind that. I can get behind a God who would say, hey, I want to fix this. 
Let's make the world a better place. Right? We can, we can get there at least in thought. Where we struggle, I think, for many of us, and, and maybe you're not the same as me, I think for many of us, we struggle on that individual level. Because we go, but my experience has been this. But you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've seen. If God really is with us, if he's really come to say, why did he let this happen to me? Why did he let this happen to this person I care about? And that's exactly where Joseph and Mary would have been too. Or they could have been. Mary's like, God, why, why are you doing this to me? Why would I be pregnant as a young teenage girl? I could be stoned to death. That wasn't her response though, was it? No, if, if we were to read it in Luke, when the angel visits Mary, it's, here I am, the Lord's servant, whatever you say. I, I think she was scared, don't get me wrong. In fact, we're told that she goes away from that encounter troubled. And it wasn't until later when she goes and visits her cousin Elizabeth, who's got John inside of her belly, not you, John, Latimer, John the baptizer, and her child leaps for joy in the womb, and she goes, this is the mother of my Lord. And suddenly, Mary breaks out into song. It's like, whoa, this was just confirmed. Because what she was struggling with on an individual level, God brings her into community, and suddenly, suddenly the good news shines brighter. The messenger tells her, go visit your cousin, I know this is troubling news, but I visited her too, and she's also with child. Go visit her. See what happens. When Bethany and I first found out we were having twins, the lady doing the sonogram was like, uh, and then there was a long pause, and we're like, you can't do that. (laughs) Is the baby alive? And she's like, so there's two heartbeats, and we're like, what? And so then they sent us back out into the waiting room to wait for the doctor to see us, and it felt like an eternity. And all I'm doing is sitting there thinking to myself, I need to get another job. I need to get another job. <laughs> and I wasn't saying it out loud because we weren't speaking to each other. We were both just dead silent. We wouldn't even look at each other. I'm like, no, this is how it started. Don't look at me. So we wouldn't even look at each other. And we were just like stunned and we go in and we see the doctor we have the visit and then we leave and then finally we're like well what do we do <laughs> and she's like I, I, I'm going to call my mom and she calls her mom and she has it on speakerphone and she's like mom we're, we're having twins and her mom lets out the most joyful laughter I've ever heard from anybody and she's like this is amazing and suddenly it hit home for us we're like this is good news this is good. Like, I may have to get another job, but, and I did, but this is good. This is this moment for Mary, and she's like, she's trembling probably with fear. We're told she goes away distraught. She's troubled. She says, yes, whatever the Lord says. Such a good response when you're troubled. But she's troubled, and she goes, and she visits Mary, or sorry, Elizabeth, and she gets into community and she goes, man, God's at work here too. 
this is amazing. Why would he do this through us? Suddenly this why me takes on a whole new meaning, right? Why me? God, why would you do this for me? Who am I, she says, that you would do this for me? Joseph, he's like, I can't marry this girl. There's no way. Do you know what kind of trouble this is going to bring upon me? And he's visited by the word of God. I want you to do this. And Joseph goes and he enters into this with Mary. He joins her in community, his husband and wife, and they do this together. And so many of us are struggling on this individual level, like, God, why me? God, why? I don't, I don't know that I'm experiencing Yahweh saves right now. And I just want to encourage us. Like those are, as a pastor, how long has it been? I, I'm really fuzzy with timelines. So like seven years. It's not that long in the scheme of things. But for seven years, you know what I've seen? When things get hard for people, that's when we have the tendency to pull away from everyone. I'm going to figure this out on my own. I don't know if it's because we're embarrassed. I don't know if it's because we just don't want to talk about it because it hurts too much. I don't know what it is, but that's, I have seen this over and over again. And even with myself, that's when we pull away from community and we try to figure it out. And I'm telling you, this is what we need the most when we are struggling on this individual level is we need to step into that communal sphere. We need to step into family and we need to go, I think this is what God said, or we need to go, I don't hear God at all, or we need to go, this is what's happening in my life. And sometimes we'll hear this crazy joyful laughter that reminds us, no, this is a good thing, and sometimes we'll get the tears of a friend who sits with us. And either way, it reminds us that we are not alone. Because not only do we have one another, but the reason we're formed in this community, because Yahweh saves his people he does it by being with us. This name that was spoken by the prophet Isaiah so many years ago, he will be called Emmanuel. El meaning God, Emmanuel meaning with us. With us. Whatever you're going into, whatever you're already in, whatever you're dealing with, God is with us. And I know sometimes we're waiting for that moment for him to prove that, right? We're waiting for that circumstance to change so that we can have that proof that he's with us. He's already proven it, though. He's already proven it. Think about the individual level stuff that he had to deal with, leaving his kingdom in the heavens, leaving his throne, being born as a fragile baby who needed to be taken care of into a broken world to a poor family with no place to rest his head. Walking this life on this earth as a homeless man. The first few years of his life on the run as a refugee from the king. And everyone thinking he's crazy and he's a lunatic when he starts preaching good news. And then finally, being attacked for it, being hit and beaten at the 
the little cute little baby hands of Jesus that were born on Christmas Day grew and took nails in them 33 years later. A little tiny head had a crown of thorns piercing into his brow. He came as the individual to take on our suffering for us because God is with us in the brokenness. And he did it so that he could fulfill all those promises of crushing the head of the serpent, of establishing a kingdom and a home for God and man to dwell in forever, and of taking away sin and sorrow and shame and pain so that we could live a life full of joy and love forever with him. That's the good news of Christmas. It's the good news of the whole world. And it's found in Jesus. Yahweh saves. Guys, hear this. God is with us.